Prospects to Pros is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. College football bowl season's just around the corner. If you've listened to our show at all, you know that Dane and myself are both in favor of the more bowl games, the merrier. I think we've got 40 this year, starting with the Bahamas Bowl on December 20th, all the way through the college football championship game on January 13th. If you want to be in the building for any of those matchups to cheer on your favorite team, go over to the Game Time app, pick up your tickets. The Game Time app's simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the app in Google Play or the App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome to the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm Chris Burke, joined by Dane Brugler and our producer, Kent Garrison. Uh, happy Thanksgiving week to everyone out there. Hope you uh, get some time to spend with family and enjoy some football. A lot of, as we sort of hinted at, a ton of good games this weekend. Uh, and uh, this is our free show. We got a couple each week. This is, uh, well, actually, they'll both be free this week, but we have uh, a couple each week. We usually recap uh, the previous weekend of college football on this first show and then Uh, spend our second show looking ahead we're going to combine those two things into this one episode a little bit here because our our second show this week's a special uh special edition of the prospects of pros podcast we're going to look at dane's uh all decade team i guess for best and worst first rounders for each each nfl franchise Uh, sort of a a really cool project he's done uh that'll be up on the site this week so (laughs) Uh, this will be all about college football here, and we're going to try and cram a lot of action into into the one show. And uh, Dane, uh, hope you're getting some time off this week. Hope you got a favorite. Uh, what's the Thanksgiving plate look like for you? I'll be honest, I I'm not sure because I haven't had Thanksgiving <laughs> in Ohio like with my family in 12 years. Um, oh yeah. It's been it's been a long time, and so I am extremely excited for this week because it's. I, I, I mean, because we, we always, my wife and my kids, we always try to make it to home for Christmas, and so you know, with the holidays being so close to each other, we can only choose one, and Christmas always got the the vote, and so it's just been a long time. So I'm really excited to see uh, you know have my my mom's cooking and my wife's parents and some other relatives. So no, I'm really looking forward to it. What about you? Do you have a, a favorite? Do you have a go-to side or anything like that? <laughs> well, Thanksgiving's a little, uh, scrambled say, yeah, a little, for me usually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got Do the lions every earlier? year. Well, the, I will say the one good thing about covering the lions, uh, well, a couple of good things about the lions always playing on Thanksgiving is that a, I know I'm going to be there like at home that night every year. Like I usually get home for like the second or third round of food that goes out <laughs> at my parents' house. So I get to do that. And, uh, the lions actually put out a decent spread, uh, on Thanksgiving day. So I get a little bit, a little bit of taste of it, uh, for lunch. And then, um, get the weekend free normally we'll have to see kind of on uh like coaching staff watch at the moment because of how that season's gone but yeah i mean it's usually not too bad and nice to have friday saturday sundays kind of like uh, go get the christmas tree and start getting those decorations up so 
uh, always look forward to that. But yeah, yeah I mean, you don't want to waste the, uh, <laughs> the XFL might block another signing or something. Man, so things never are know. falling apart in a hurry <laughs> over here. Um, don't want to spend too much time on uh, on Thanksgiving, but uh, we got a lot to cover. A lot of as I said, kind of recap this past week in college football, and then try to look ahead uh, to what should be a big weekend uh, coming up starting Thursday. I think uh, right, the Egg Bowl is uh, Thursday mm-hmm. nights, and then couple games friday so but yeah before we get into that look back at this past weekend and uh you know penn state ohio state was the one we sort of teed up going in and uh got interesting in the second half there penn state made it uh, a game for a little bit ohio state held on for the 11 point win uh, what'd you think all the we talked about a ton of guys going into that game and kj hamler obviously played and saw some of the star power on the other side chase young just keeps doing his thing. Uh, what do you think about the performances in that one? Yeah, all the stars showed up. Uh, Dobbins, Chase Young, I mean, Fields. Uh, it, it was a little sloppy there for the Buckeyes with the turnovers. Uh, but, you know, it was weird. It was a game where you felt like Ohio State was clearly the better team. They were dominating. But then you blink and it's like 21-17. And it's like, oh, wow, this is this is going to be a game here in the second half. And, um you know, it, it's the the better talent eventually uh, won out. Um, you know, the change Penn State made at quarterback with Clifford's injury, that gave them a little bit of a spark because Ohio State hadn't really planned for that quarterback. And so that uh, turned out to be a positive uh, for Penn State. But whenever you're dealing with a backup quarterback, that also means there's mistakes inevitably, inevitably going to happen when you know a guy is not used to working with the first team offense and um, you know doesn't have the experience as the starter. And we saw that with the interception that pretty much clinched the game uh, there in the fourth quarter. So um, Ohio State gets by uh, last uh, last game in that stadium for a lot of Ohio State players, uh, a couple of juniors, several seniors. Uh, now get set up for uh, the big one in Ann Arbor next week, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Michigan's playing their best football um, at the right time. And so I think same could be said about Shea Patterson. So that's going to be a lot of fun next Saturday. It's always, it's the biggest rivalry in college football, arguably in, in sports. And, um, you know, it's uh, with the way Michigan's playing it. I don't think it's going to disappoint. Yeah. I, I will say it's uh I have a new appreciation for it being kind of just held up to this lofty standard every year because it hasn't been a rivalry. (laughs) I mean, it's a rivalry, but it hasn't been. I mean, Ohio State's dominated this, and it still kind of gets the publicity every year. So I guess I appreciate that. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's, as I said, sort of look ahead to next weekend a little bit too. And I think one of the big matchups, well, maybe one of the better, you know, position group versus position group matchups we're going to have this weekend and maybe one of the better ones we've seen this year is the Michigan receivers against that Ohio State secondary. Yep. Just the, especially the way, like you mentioned, Shea Patterson's been playing pretty well. Uh, they've opened up that offense. I mean, you've got to block not just Chase Young, but all those guys up front, especially Chase Young. Uh, but if Shea Patterson's got some time, that's a really tough group to handle the way that they're playing right now. And we've talked about the guys on the other side of the ball, Ohio State's cornerbacks. Uh, are loaded too so who who do you give the edge to in that matchup um that is i think going to be the key matchup of the game so i I think you're you're dead on by bringing that one up um i i can't wait for it because we're talking about um you know really it's really good versus really good and with michigan nico collins um you know i included him in my top 100 he's 
He's been my favorite of the Michigan uh, receivers up to this point. I think Donovan Peoples-Jones is the most talented, just hasn't been the most consistent. Um, but then also Tariq Black and Bell. I mean, they're, they're also uh, future NFL players. So Michigan has no shortage of receiving options. And it, it's they're going to meet uh, meet a pretty significant challenge against Ohio State's DBs. That I, mean, I think I mentioned it last week. It's three of these guys. Uh, a corner could be top 40 picks in April uh, with Sean Wade and Jeffrey Okuda and uh, Damon Arnett. And I thought it was interesting that we saw um, Okuda move inside a little bit to cover Hamler uh, at times on Saturday. So that was that was a little new. Usually he's been uh, religiously the left cornerback. Sean Wade inside, Damon Arnett on the right side. They moved it around a little bit. And so be interested against Michigan to see what Ohio State does um, you know, with their with their coverage scheme. They're, they're going to play a lot of man-to-man. Uh, that's what they do. But are they going to uh, you know still mix and match? Are they going to you know force their corners to just play in an area? And then um, you know what can what can they uh, Michigan get out of a pass rush? I think the other big matchup to watch is going to be Josh Uche, um, the, the Michigan versatile linebacker, to see how he does against that Ohio State backfield with uh, both Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins. Uh, Uche's. You know, he's been mostly a, what, like a part-time player most of his career up until his senior year, and he's really blossoming blossoming now. And he's he's a versatile guy. I think he's probably best as as an edge rusher. Uh, but they'll line him up kind of all over that front seven. They'll drop him into space. They'll rush him from different angles. Just kind of get him, uh, you know, kind of get, get him mismatches on that uh, on the line of scrimmage. And so that's something that Ohio State's going to have to account for because he can be a uh, uh, a dangerous guy uh, if he can, you know get into the backfield and create some havoc. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a big thing to watch, uh, curious to see kind of what the, uh, how the officials handle the play on the outside, because like you said, Ohio state plays a lot of man, Michigan sort of notoriously under Don Brown is heavy man and really Mm -hmm. like aggressive handsy man, man defense and Levert Hill has been kind of up and down lately on that side of the ball. But you know, he, will clutch and grab as much as he's allowed to clutch and grab. And uh, so I think that that really is going to dictate sort of how things go on both sides of the ball. Cause we've seen even the last few weeks, Michigan's not just opening things up, but they're giving a, Patterson's given a lot more shots to uh, those. Those are all, you mentioned black uh, people's Jones. I mean, the, and Nico Collins, those are all big physical receivers on the outside. He's given a lot of shots to those guys, just throwing it up, let them go make those plays one-on-one and, you know, if they don't let Ohio State's corners uh, play up in their face and be physical with them, that's going to make for a tough day for them too. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how they call that game because both sides really need their cornerbacks to be allowed to use their hands quite a bit, I think, and play that kind of you know bump and run type coverage. So um, that's that's going to be uh, a, a kind of an X factor on Saturday. Yeah, agree. And. I- what is Michigan going to do differently against Chase Young? You know, like, what are they going to do? Is it going to be you know, play calling? Is it going to be leaving a back in the help chip? Um, you know, just extra blockers, uh, all of the above. You know, like what, what are they going to do? That That's something that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, you know, this is going to be one of Chase Young's final, final games in an, uh, an Ohio State uniform. So, you know, I think he's... He's going to be look, looking to, you know, put his final stamp on this, uh, his final game in this rivalry. Um, and so it's, 
it doesn't matter what you do. He's going to find a way to make an impact, just like he did against Penn State. Um, you know, against uh, against Penn State, you they would double him at times. They would. We saw a lot of quick throws, just get the ball out. Um, but even then, Chase Young still found a way to have a, a dominating uh, type of performance, and we'll see if he can do that again against. Um, uh, against Michigan, it's going to be interesting if uh, if the conversation does come down to Chase Young or Joe Burrow for the Bengals at number one, who lost again on Sunday. They now have a uh, pretty significant lead for that top pick overall, uh, with what five games left to go in the season. So, uh, you know, do they go quarterback? Do they go with the the best uh, best player in the draft? Uh, at maybe the second most important position on the roster. Um, that Chase Young is. You know, doing what he can to make uh, make it a, a race of why he should be considered over a quarterback for that top pick. Yeah, uh, and we've kind of hinted at that before. We did a little mock draft a few uh, episodes back, but yeah, I think that is the, pretty clearly the discussion at this point. And you know, if, again, if you think Chase Young's going to be that kind of transcendent pass rusher at the next level, you don't get a lot of cracks at those type of guys either. I mean, mm-hmm. you always make the case for needing to pick a quarterback when he's there, but if you can get a guy who's going to be a you know, 10, 12, 14 sack guy for you every year and just force offenses to game plan around him, there aren't that many guys like that out there either. And we're seeing when they get you – know, they rarely get to free agency because teams franchise tag him all the time and try to sign him long term. When they do get to free agency, I mean, they're hauling – you know, 15, 18 million a year. I mean, it, it's like almost quarterback contract. So to get a guy like that on a rookie contract and uh, and have the rare opportunity at him is – it makes the decision a little more interesting, I think, for sure. That he's that You happen to have a guy like that potentially sitting there for you at number one. Right. And, you know, I think uh, speaking of Joe Burrow, he was – you know, he took care of business uh, against uh, yep. Arkansas on Saturday. I th- the – just looking at kind of the, the final stats from that game, uh, my favorite stat line was for Edwards Hilaire, the running back for LSU. Six carries, 188 <laughs> yards, not bad. Three yeah. touchdowns. Um, that's just that's silly. Um, he actually had more receptions than he did rush attempts. Uh, seven catches for 65. Um, it seems like that should be switched, but just uh, pretty impressive. I mean, Arkansas is garbage but um you know uh i think while we're on the quarterback conversation good time to maybe transition to oregon and arizona state uh oregon going to tempe and was not a pretty game for justin herbert um he you know with, with kind of everything on the line um you know you're headed into the final games of the regular season you're going to the pac-12 championship game and if you win the pac-12 you have a pretty decent shot of getting into the final four in the playoffs and you stumble uh, in Tempe against a true freshman quarterback and an Arizona State team that's you know just over 500. Um, you know it was you know we kind of review the uh, ups and downs of this game. The, the more downs than ups, and the downs being a couple of you know, interceptions that were just kind of really mind-boggling. There were a couple should have been interceptions. Uh, you know, Herbert should have had more uh, than just the two. And so, you know, it's – he hurt himself. There's there's no way around it. He he hurt himself with that performance on Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you give him a little credit for getting hot in the fourth quarter there. And, they, you know, they made a run at it, Oregon, uh, for a little bit and brought it back. But, yeah, there some of those mistakes are just – like you can kind of excuse if you get – 
some turnovers off, you know, a, a strip sack or a tip ball or something. But some of those mistakes looked like he had no idea what he was looking at. Yeah. Defense, the one uh, he just panicked. Forget what the linebacker, the defensive line, whichever the guy who dropped into space, you know, in his own coverage, and he right. threw it right to him. I forget which defender it was, but you know, that's the type of mistake that you look at and you just. It's hard to even figure out where what he was processing in that moment, you know, like what he was looking at. He clearly had no idea that guy was going to be there, but he also didn't see him looking right at him. And so those are the types of things that kind of jump out. And yeah, just a really rough night for him. And I think we've kind of we've been talking all along about these quarterbacks and with Tua being hurt, you know, the the door is kind of open for some of these guys to move up. And Jordan Love's kind of built a little bit of momentum lately. And now Herbert, he, he's circle back the other way and you know they're I don't know I mean it's it's tough once you get out of the top 10 every year because you never really know what's going to happen with quarterbacks with teams that are already in the playoffs you know are they going to take another guy is someone going to come up and there's always sort of the danger that if a guy doesn't go super early there's going to be a a drop and now Herbert's kind of falling into that no man's land the way things have gone for him where he doesn't look like a top five pick and then you kind of wonder what happens after that it's just so tough because uh there's there's parts of like we've talked about this entire season um and even back in the summer the physical traits are obvious he's a smart guy um you know high character guy a lot of things that you look for at the position but they're just there's something missing and some of these decisions that we saw Saturday night where he just kind of panicked and you just leave your, you kind of scratching your head. Like, what is he, was he doing? Like he, and he's a great athlete. Um, and we saw a couple of times Saturday night, how he was able to, even after contact was made, brush off the tackle attempt and extend. But we, it seems like he's just not comfortable outside of structure. Uh, even though he does have the athleticism to do it, even though he does have the skill set that should transition well in that type of scenario, He's just not comfortable. You know, when, when the play design is there and, you know, the route is being run correctly and everything's on schedule, he seems to be on point. He's he's accurate. He Timing, touch, it's there. But when things break down and in the NFL, things break down quite a bit and he's forced to move his feet and, you know, kind of, again, be off schedule. That's where his decision making seems to fall apart. He tends to panic. Um, you know, he's he doesn't really feel comfortable or confident in those situations. And it's something that is really a red flag. And it's why when I did my, you know, the quarterback reset, I thought there were Tua and Joe Burrow at the top in the first tier, and then that second tier was. Uh, Jordan Love, then Herbert, then Eason, and I have you know those three quarterbacks in my mind are still duking it out for that who's who's ahead of one another in that that second tier. Um, it's it's something that we might not really get a good feel on until the pre-draft process. Um, if Jordan Love does declare, uh, then I expect him to be at the Senior Bowl, and hopefully Herbert decides to go as well and be fun to watch those two guys, um, you know, throw after throw and. Um, you know, so much of the quarterback position is going to be behind closed doors, the interview process, um, X's and O's on the whiteboard, things like that. Recall, um, it, it's going to be important during the interview process. And now with Tua's injury, he's a complete wild card and he kind of joins Jordan Love and Eason and Herbert as, uh, you know, there's, there's things we're still trying to figure out about these guys. Joe Burrow, to me, in my mind, um, it, you know, it sounds like you kind of agree is the one where you feel the most comfortable about at this point. Um, he's the clear favorite to be the top quarterback. And, you know, it'd be, especially with how Herbert played Saturday night, it, it'd be hard to 
you know, invest a top 10 pick on him. Um, you, you see too much Ryan Tannehill uh, with Herbert. Uh, that That's kind of what I keep coming back to. And look, Ryan Tannehill was good enough to show – he showed enough promise to be a top 10 pick. He showed enough promise to get a big contract um, after his rookie deal in Miami. And he's showed enough where he's helping Tennessee win some football games right now. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, like, there's enough there. There's like, there's enough talent with Herbert. But is it just – is it going to be enough where you're going to feel comfortable investing in him as the long-term guy, as a guy that's going to help you win a division, win playoff games – Tannehill, he's been good enough to win some games and do some nice things, but hasn't been good enough to, you know, playoffs and win division, things like that. So, you know, it's it's a tough conversation. I mean, if you're getting 2019 Ryan Tannehill, that might be worth a pretty high draft pick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Playing pretty well yeah, uh, in Tennessee. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's uh, some of the – you mentioned the interview process, and we always sort of uh, just focus, obviously, because it's such a big deal, we focus on – the player and team interview portion of this. And, but uh, I think a lot of this too, will the NFL teams will be calling up Oregon's coaches and making those contacts. And I think some mm-hmm. of the questions are going to be, we talked early in the year about, well, uh, why aren't they opening this offense up and letting him throw? He throws a nice deep ball. He's got a good arm. And now you kind of wonder if they knew that they couldn't do that. You know, I think that's the next question, you know, do they lock up this offense and go to the ground game? Cause they didn't feel comfortable letting Justin Herbert, throw it 40 or 50 times because they were seeing some of these maybe the, maybe he was making these mistakes in practice I mean maybe there were some of those issues there I think that's something NFL teams will try to get to the bottom of too as they evaluate these guys yeah there's no question and you know it's it's tough because again we, we've talked about it before how they don't the, the receivers at Oregon haven't um, you know it's probably the weakest unit on um, that offensive uh, depth chart um, especially with Breland going down but, you know, we're almost to Thanksgiving. Like, you, you know, I, at some point, those become excuses and not reasons. Um, you know, there should be enough chemistry uh, on that offense where you're not you're not too worried about uh, your, your receivers. Um, and, you know, we saw that. Johnson III had over 200 yards receiving um, on, uh, on Saturday night, a couple of touchdowns. Um, I did want to mention also from that game, Brandon Ayuk, uh, who uh, in my yeah. – a couple of weeks ago, uh, I released my top 100 draft board. He was my top ranked senior, um, like 35th overall, 36, something like that. Uh, he, he he's fantastic. He seven catches, so 161, <laughs> yeah, one touchdown. You know, he reminds me a lot of is Emmanuel Sanders. Um, you know, he's he's a little bit bigger. He's a little bit taller. He's about six foot. Um, you know, right on 200 pounds. Where Emmanuel Sanders is like 5'11", 185, 190. So a little bit bigger. But the type of athlete that they are, um, you know, Ayuk's kind of like he's a runway athlete. You give him a little bit of a runway and he's going to make the defense pay. Whether it's a simple slant, that, you know, catch and go, could be a vertical pattern like we saw um, against Oregon where just, uh, you know, got a step on uh, the corner. And once he had that step, as long as the ball is accurate, uh, you're not going to catch him. 81-yard touchdown. So, you know, Ayuk is right there on – you know, er, late first, early second round mix uh, right now. Um, and wouldn't be shocked if he gets himself into that top 32 mix. I, I mentioned it 
you know, over a month ago, how some scouts have given him a much higher grade than they gave to Nikhil Harry. Uh, they're much different players, types of receivers. They offer different things, but uh, with the explosiveness and the just the athlete, dynamic athletic traits that Ayuk offers, uh, that a lot of teams are going to want that more than what Harry off, had to offer coming out last year. And dangerous return guy too, as we've seen. Yeah. All yeah. year, you know, he's someone that you can help you in that area. Uh, and that, you know, that organ loss, unfortunately, we had sort of talked about the potential for that Oregon Utah Pac 12 showdown to really have a lot of meaning. I, you kind of wonder if it, I mean, it's, some of the luster's off for sure. You wonder if Utah's now still got a shot to get into the playoff, kind of on, you know, right there. I hope so. But, I hope uh, so. Yeah. They're going to need some help. Selfishly, I want to see. I mean, okay, let's say that, um, uh, LSU takes care of business. They, you know, went out, beat Georgia in the SEC title game. Uh, let's say Ohio State wins out, beats Michigan, beats uh, the winner of Wisconsin, Minnesota in the Big Ten title game. And then Clemson wins out. So those are your three right there. The fourth spot comes down to uh, if, if Alabama beats Auburn, uh, they'll be, you know, they'll have the one loss with a backup quarterback. And then it comes down to, the winner of, well, probably, well, the winner of the Big 12 title game, Oklahoma or Baylor. And then if Utah takes care of business in the Pac-12. Selfishly, I'd love to see Utah make it just because I have a lot of respect for their team. Love their defense. Uh, Tyler Huntley is a warrior at quarterback. Um, so I think if if the first three picks are chalk, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and we're just looking at that fourth spot, um, I'd definitely love to see Utah get that over uh, Alabama and, and a Big 12 team. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it'd be fun. I, I I know there are some people out there like kind of rooting for the four SEC team scenario. <laughs> I'd prefer <laughs> to get as many uh, other groups in there as possible. That Oklahoma, man, they have – they're the cardiac kids over there, ten and one every week, just yeah. hanging on for dear life. Uh, and that's one of the big games this weekend too. The Oklahoma uh, goes to Oklahoma State, and certainly a lot on the line. And that one, we've talked about Jalen Hurts a bunch. Uh, anyone else we should be looking out for? Yeah, I mean, the I think we have to talk about the running running back for Oklahoma State, yeah. Chuba Hubbard. Chuba Hubbard, um, what he's done this year has been terrific. He's a redshirt sophomore, so he is draft eligible. Um, and you know, since Tylen Wallace went down, you know, more importance is on uh, the running back to be the impact guy. And we know Oklahoma has uh, some soft spots on defense. And so, you know, what, what can Kenneth Murray, the linebacker, do to you know limit the Oklahoma State? Uh, run game, you know, bedlam is usually some form of bedlam. So, uh, you know, it, 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 Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, I'm pretty sure they've already clinched a Big 12 to be in the Big 12 title game with Baylor. Um, so I don't think that, uh, I mean, maybe it could affect the possibility of them getting to the Final Four, but, um, you know, it's still an important game. The other game I want to definitely want to mention Wisconsin and Minnesota with the winner winning the Big 10 West. Um, I think that's going to be that's going to be a heck of a game. Uh, one guy that may be the key to this game for Minnesota. Um, you know, we all want to talk, or you know, their offense gets talked about a lot. Um, you know, uh, Bateman's awesome at receiver. Tyler Johnson's he, he's solid. Um, you know, he'll be a good mid round draft pick. Um, but on defense, you know, Blake Cashman was the linebacker last year. Kamal Martin is that linebacker this year. Been injured most of the year. 
But if Minnesota is going to win this game, they need to slow down Jonathan Taylor and that ground game. And Kamal Martin, number 21, that's going to be the key. Uh, you know, he does an excellent job with climbing linemen. You know, we're going to see him use his hands to get off Tyler Biadish and get to the, the running back. Uh, does a really nice job with climbing blockers. I love his trigger. He'll see it and go. Uh, he can beat blockers, get through the gap, make the make tackles at the line of scrimmage. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that's been battling injuries. But when he's on the field, he makes plays. Um, so I think Kamal Martin is going to be kind of low key to uh, might be kind of the difference in this game if Minnesota is going to win. Yeah, and obviously uh, Jonathan Taylor, we've talked about him a bunch too, and with good reason. He's just uh, every week, man. I get a just a new appreciation for how good he is, and I, I think it's there's just he's got this ability that I don't think a lot of running backs have, where he can make. He makes really sharp cuts and somehow manages to do it while he's still, it seems to still be moving vertically. Like he's still moving north and south while he makes his cuts. And there's just not, usually, you know, most guys have to stop and make that cut and then get going again. And he seems to do it while he's at full acceleration in traffic through small holes. And he did it again this weekend, another big game against Purdue. Um, and, and you mentioned Hubbard at Oklahoma State uh, being a redshirt sophomore. You have any sense for sort of how – I mean, this looks like it could be a decent running back class, pretty good running back class. I mean, is for a guy like that, is there a benefit to waiting another year? Or you think he comes – I mean, he's going to be a maybe a 2,000-yard rusher this season. You think there's just sort of the strike while the iron's hot, especially at that position? Yeah, I mean, I would – I mean, it's just the nature of the position. Um, obviously, I think – especially with the season that he's having, um, you know, he's just over 1,800 yards, uh, you know, pretty good chance he ends up with over 2,000, like you said, maybe even on Saturday uh, against Oklahoma. Um, you know, he – like you said, it is a crowded running back group. Um, you know, I think for me at least – and there's going to be all – types of different opinions on these running backs for me i think there are three running backs at the top with uh swift um jonathan taylor and etienne um dobbins is pushing really hard to get in that group um i just i just i finished um dobbins tape the other day and i wrote up his report i mean he's just he's such an enjoyable runner uh to watch because he's he's so skilled at with his vision and his ability to see the hole hit it and then he has some elusiveness at the second level just he's so much fun to watch um so i think dobbins he's also in that top 50 discussion um zach moss for me as long as the medicals are clean he's a top five back in this class um i mean i Eno Benjamin hasn't had a great year, uh, but he's still a, a quality player. Had a solid game against Oregon. Cam Akers from Florida State was one of the few bright spots on that team. Um, and then Hubbard's right there, you know, in the uh, day two mix. And so uh, Hubbard's one of the – when he gets gets an alley, forget about it. He's gone. I mean, he, he eliminates those pursuit angles with his acceleration. Tough guy to, you know, chase down from behind. A little blocking dependent. He doesn't – create a lot of yardage at the line of scrimmage uh but i think he's you know definitely a player that is worth watching on day two of the draft if he declares uh i'll throw out another one so this will take us into alabama auburn but you got Najee harris in that Mm -hmm. alabama backfield uh who's a junior and you know that's you almost assume at this point that junior running backs are going to go coming off pretty good years doesn't always happen that way but uh, again just that position it's so hard to 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 put 
600, 700, 800 carries on your college totals and then have NFL teams expect you to hold up over the long haul. And obviously it happens, and Jonathan Taylor's going to head to the NFL with a ton of work in his past, but uh, it seems like a lot of guys would prefer to get out of there before they get to those totals. And that's probably the other big game we should touch on here is Alabama uh, and Auburn on, uh, let's see, the 3.30 kick on Saturday, Iron Bowl. Been some pretty good finishes in that one, too. And Auburn, I mean, Auburn seems like they can hang around in this one, I would think. Yeah, Alabama's only favored by three. So, you know, the, yeah. the, the Tua factor uh, with him being sidelined, yeah, Auburn should be right in this. And look, this Derek Brown came back because he wanted to win the SEC. And, you know, that's, that's not going to happen. But it would be pretty sweet for him to knock off Alabama uh, in, in this game. And so even though he didn't get the SEC title, he didn't get to the playoff, um, you know, being able to win the Iron Bowl in his final uh, regular season game uh, as, a, as an Auburn Tiger would be pretty important for him. So these guys would be motivated, especially on defense, um, eager to see how they hold up. Uh, Javaris Davis, um, uh, the other corner, I, last name I can't pronounce, because of an I, they're going to be tested against those Alabama receivers. Um, it, Mac Jones, uh, we'll see what he what he has. Obviously, you know, last week uh, against the FCS, he did well. I think he was like 10 of 12, a um, couple touchdowns. But this is going to be a little different animal. And so uh, how does he do in this type of uh, – against this type of opponent? Yeah, Auburn, I mean, uh, you, we've talked about uh, some of the high-end uh, talent on it in the SEC, obviously. But Brown um, – Teguanajo at tackle, but I mean, they've got some guys that look like they're going to be in the day three mix beyond that. There's probably at least a handful of them that you could see drafted on that third day, right? Yeah, Auburn, I mean, offense and defense, um, you know, Jack Driscoll, the right tackle, um, a chance to go top 100, but if not, he'll definitely be in the day three mix on defense. You know, Marlon Davidson, number three, uh, it's kind of a little bit of that tweener, but uh, he finds ways to get to the quarterback. Uh, I mentioned Javaris Davis, Daniel Thomas at safety. So, yeah, Auburn has uh, quite a few guys that are going to be playing in the NFL next year. It's a, it's a veteran group, even though their quarterback's a true freshman. Um, and you know it's they've got some inexperience at other positions. It's it's more of a veteran group, and so this is going to be it's going to be an interesting game. Yeah, Jeremiah Dinson seems like a guy who's yep. going to be on an at least in a training camp roster. You know, there's, right. there's some talent for sure. And on, it's at Auburn, team. so yeah, you know, be a, so it's yeah. their final final home game for a lot of these guys, and so that's the emotion and energy. Is it's going to be at an all time high. Uh, well, so what do you think? You got Ohio State going to Michigan, number two. You got Georgia. Uh, Georgia's going to Georgia Tech. I don't think they're in any danger. Clemson uh, to South Carolina. Uh, you know, Alabama to Auburn. Um, LSU's got A&M at home. Oklahoma's at Oklahoma State. You got any any of those top 10 teams going down this weekend? I'd be pretty surprised. Um, you know, you never know with Colorado at Utah. Could Colorado – I mean, they looked good last week against Washington. Could they – um, you know, with Utah maybe looking forward um, ahead to the Pac-12 title game, um, but no, I I would be very surprised. Um, you know, I, Ohio State, Michigan's always 
I mean, I shouldn't say always just because it has been so one-sided, <laughs> but there, for the most part, it's been a lot of close games. Uh, you know, that JT Barrett spot a few years ago, um, you know, it's going to overtime and, you know, it's Michigan has found a way to be competitive in these, a lot of these matchups, not everyone, but a lot of them. And with the game in Ann Arbor, we Ohio State didn't just run away from Penn State at home. And you could make an argument that, uh, you know, Michigan's playing better than Penn State right now, that they're a better team. So with the game being in Ann Arbor, all it takes is a few mistakes and for Michigan to play well. So you just never know. And But no, I, I would be surprised if we saw any top 10 upsets this week. All right. Well, we'll see. I mentioned we got uh, games all weekend starting. Uh, well, we still got Maction on Tuesday, but then uh, Thursday, Mississippi, Mississippi State, and a pretty full slate Friday and a bunch of big games Saturday. So we'll be back next week to recap everything that goes on this coming weekend. As I mentioned, our second show this week will be devoted to uh, Dane's look back at the best and worst first rounders for each NFL uh, draft or NFL team over the past decade. So I uh, hope you'll tune in for that one as well. Thanks for listening here. So for our producer, uh, Kent Garrison and Dane Brugler, I'm Chris Burke, and we'll talk to you soon.